was like, all right, they got seven million in funding. So I'm a kid out of college. That's a lot of money to me. <laughs> so I'm like, that probably means that they have money to pay me. So I should probably go check that out. And so I did something very unique that I always tell people, especially right now, if you're in the job market, here's a tip. Cold call the person that you're looking to get in contact with to hire you. So I cold called the VP of sales. And that's how I got the interview. If they would have saw my resume, probably not. But I cold called them and they were like, all right, you cold call us. We're going to give you a chance. Come in for the interview. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Morgan J. Ingram, Morgan's Director of Sales Execution and Evolution at JV Sales Training and host of Muffins with Morgan, host of the SDR Chronicles. And actually, I get tired just thinking about everything that he does. So, Morgan and I are going to spend some time talking about Morgan. I was really interested to learn about his story because he's made such a big impact in our profession in such a short time. You'll definitely want to check that out. We're also going to dig into the specific challenges that SDR managers are facing these days. And we'll talk about the evolution of the SDR role and what that means for how we structure sales. All this and much, much more. But before we get to Morgan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Morgan, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Andy. It's been a long time coming. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we, we, you and I were touching on a subject before we started recording, and we have to dig into this in depth, which is that um, this weekend, you're going to see your girlfriend for the first time in six months. Yeah. And and you guys are like about as far apart distance wise and still be in the same continent. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the most polar opposite I think that you can get. <laughs> yeah. So she's in she's in Vancouver yep. and you're in Atlanta. So how'd this start? Yeah. So back when you could get on planes and you didn't have to wear a mask and it was packed at the airport, I used to travel once a week to do sales training on site. And so Mm -hmm. I'm always in a different city and also in a different country. And I was going to go meet up with one of my good friends, Scott Barker. And he was like, I've never been to Vancouver before. So he was like, Hey, come a couple days earlier. I'll show you around. Like you can meet some of my friends. And I was like, that's awesome. Like I've never been, I've heard great things about it. And so I was in New York. So I took like the red eye or whatever. And then I got there earlier, I think on like a Thursday. Now at, at, at that, at that point, you know, I was on hinge. All right. This is a dating app. All right, I'm gonna tell you all the real story here. So I was on hinge, right? All right. So this is just giving you all a real story here. And so I was obviously swiping when I got to Vancouver and I ran across her and I swiped on her, right? And so yeah. we decided we were having a good conversation. We decided to meet mon- Monday. So I had a training on Tuesday morning. But I was like, "Hey, let's do a date on Monday." And I went on that date, you know, just to you know, just hang out, see what's going on. Because again, I was I was with Scott or whatever. And from that date, it was like, "Whoa!" Like this girl was completely different. And then I got nervous because I was like, oh, this girl's different. So like, but I'm in a different country and I'm on the other side of the continent. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. So I'm like freaking out because it's going so well. Uh, But then I was like, all right, I'm just going to like see where this goes. And 
Andy, like I've talked to her every single day since we've met. And that was back in August. We've been dating for nine and a half months now. And I, I've talked to her every single day. And there's been no girl that I've ever dated that I've talked to every single day. And it's just been a very natural flow of a conversation. We both weren't really looking, but we we knew that we were both for each other and we've been dating ever since. Very interesting. See, I, where I thought the story was going, and this is that's a great story too, is, is that she was going to be one of, not only you swipe on her, but she was also one of Scott's friends. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's, that's what... Most people think where it's going. And also the funnier <laughs> part about it though, is that I give you this context. She downloaded the app that weekend. Whoa. See, this is meant to be. It's just meant to be like she downloaded it that weekend, the weekend that I came. And then literally two days later, she went on her first ever app date, right? Cause she never believed in it. And also she almost didn't go on the date. <laughs> so it's like, this was just insane what happened here. So the fact that I knew Scott, I came early, which I never come early to places. She downloaded that weekend. My friend told me to download Hinge like three months ago. So yeah, it was it was just too much happening there to, to be like a whatever coincidence. I love it. All right, what's her name? Her name's Katie. And what does she do? So she is a teacher. Love it. And also she works at a store called Aritzia, which is a clothing store. It's based out, it's, it's out of Canada. Mm-hmm. And so she's, yeah, she's one of like the top people in sales. So she's, she's, she also does sales too. Right? So she's got that. Of course. Of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just in a different way. But yeah, I, that's what she does over there. Well, so she's in sales. She teaches and I'm sorry, what do you do? You're <laughs> in sales. You teach, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good match. Love it. Good match. All right. So, well, let's let's sort learn more about Morgan here. So, you're involved in a ton of things. So, tell us a little about all the things you do. Yeah. So, on a day to day basis, you know what I do is I prospect to net new accounts so I can close them to do training. And so, most of the stuff that I do is around training teams on how to break through the noise. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I work at JB Sales, which is John Barrows. Right. And I, I help them do video selling, cold calling, emailing, all those things that are hard to do, <laughs> as we all know. Uh, I, I help them do that consistently without them overthinking it and having fun. And then also I do webinars. Obviously, I'm on this podcast now. That's also a component of what, what I do. But a lot of it is essentially a full sales cycle rep that does training as well. And then I post content on LinkedIn too, but all that stuff on the work side, that's what I'm doing over there. All right. So I have to admit, I didn't know much about your background until I started start preparing for this interview and, and saw that you originally planned to go into sports management. So, yeah. so what was the interest there? Was it like team management or becoming a, an agent or what was that? Yeah, so you got you're already you're already getting it. So sports agent. So you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire, right? Oh, a million times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember watching that with my dad, and he was like, "Show me the money," and I'm like, "Yo, like <laughs> this is it. Like this is what I want to be, Dad. Like you know, like my little kid voice." And then I was like, well, "What do I need to do?" So I'm a huge researcher. I will abuse Google. I will go on Google, on YouTube. Like I'm. A, I try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, look, you got to have some type of degree in finance and you should probably go in sports management. So I kept hearing that. So I was like, OK, cool. So I went to the University of Georgia and they had a sports management degree and they also had a finance degree. So I ended up double majoring and doing that. And 
When I got to senior year, though, they told me I had to go to law school to be a sports agent. And when I talked to more sports agents and other even athletes that were pro that were from like UGA that I got contacted with, Mm -hmm. I saw that that wasn't the best route to go because it was such a small percentage of success. And you getting that you have to be in the game for quite a long time and you starting off, it's going to be a grind for 15 years. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And so that's when my mindset shifted on like, okay, I want to go do something different. Got it. Now, for people listening, we had I just interviewed a, uh, on this on this podcast uh, Nez Balelo, who's the lead MLB agent for CAA. So he's got uh, uh, Ryan Braun and a bunch of the really big names as his clients. So if you want to hear from a sports agent, but he he did not go to law school though. I mean, he had a very interesting background too. He, his father was a a fisherman, based a commercial fisherman based off San Diego. Um, he used to take Nez on these trips, like across the Atlantic, to <laughs> to find fish. I'm, That's I mean, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so he sort of worked his way up into it. So, all right. So, sports agents off the table. Why sales then? Yeah. So at that point, I was like, "What am I going to go do?" And I went to a local networking event, and one of the people there. Cause I was trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And he was like, Hey, you should go look at this company that just got funding. So it was, a, it was terminus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ABM platform for, for those of you who don't know what, what, what it is account based marketing. So it was right when account based marketing was, was like the thing, like it was like starting to like get some recognition and it was like very new to the marketplace. Right. And I was like, all right, they got 7 million in funding. So I'm a kid out of college. That's a lot of money to me. <laughs> so I'm like, that probably means that they have money to pay me, right? So I should probably go check that out. And so I did something very unique that I always tell people, especially right now, if you're in the job market, here's a tip. Cold call the person that you're looking to get in contact with to hire you. So yeah. I, cold, I cold called the VP of sales. As you and, should. and that's that's how I got the interview. If they would have saw my resume, probably not, but... I cold called them and they were like, all right, you cold call us. We're going to give you a chance, like come in for the interview. And so I decided on sales because I wanted to learn a skill set that based on my research is very hard, very hard for people to do. And I wanted to have something that I knew for the lifelong in my career, I could always use it. And and that's the reason why I went into sales as well. And I knew it would challenge me too. Yeah. Well, so I want to follow up on your cold calling the sales VP and just reinforce that with a story of my own. Is, yeah. So, yes, after my first job, I'd spent four years at a company called Burroughs, that time second biggest computer company in the world, you know, starting off as, you know, doing door-to-door selling in, <laughs> of business computers and then managing a sales team, about 15 people. And, and uh, at that time, the PC business was starting to take off. And so I wanted to get into the PC business. I was in the Bay Area. Eventually, I ended up, working for Apple, but I was interviewing for jobs and I cold called this guy at this company called Digital Research. There's a long history there. People might recognize the name, but, um, and I interviewed and, and this guy offered me the job just, but he said, don't take it because this company's falling apart. So I didn't take it, Mm. (laughs) but, (laughs) but I'd cold called him to get it. So then fast forward four years, um, and I was looking for work again, the startup I was with, imploded and um 
I saw this article in Fortune magazine about this company in Mountain View that was revolutionizing the satellite communications industry. That sounded really interesting. I cold called the VP of sales on a Monday, got an interview, showed up. It was that guy that offered me the job before. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's where I thought you were going with your Scott Barker story. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, it was you're never gonna regret making the call. So make the call. You know, why rely on a headhunter or or you know, submitting your your resume to job boards? Pick up the phone and call people. Especially if you're going into sales. Yeah, absolutely. And so before you go to your next question, Eddie, this this is even funnier. So my girlfriend doesn't, Katie, she doesn't know Scott. However, she knew Scott's brother. <laughs> and so, and that's not how we met though, but we went to a party with them when I came back to Vancouver and she was like, oh, I know Scott's brother. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So like, yeah, it's, it does all come full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're at Terminus. Yep. You, you put in a stint as an SDR Yep. and you sort of started the SDR Chronicles while you're doing that job, right? Yeah. So, so what was it about your experience in that role that inspired you to start the SDR Chronicles? I didn't see any content out there for me as an SDR. And one thing that I've, I always believe in is if you can provide a solution to something, then do it. Execute on it. Don't wait for someone else to do it. And so that's what I decided to do. I was like, well, I don't see any other SDRs making videos, putting out blogs. It was all people that were very experienced, right? Had been in sales before, but they hadn't been SDRs and were like in the trenches. And I wanted to give an in the trenches view for people so they could I could be more relatable to that audience. And right. so that's when I decided to create the SCR Chronicles and shout out to Ralph for writing the blog post. I mean, he wrote a blog post that literally said, hey, if you're an SCR, you should start a YouTube channel. And I remember reading that blog post before I started up an SCR. And you can even ask him about it. I tweeted him saying, hey, I'm going to start this YouTube channel. And he was <laughs> like, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> I, I, we're talking about Ralph Barcy, who's uh, <laughs> VP of Global Insight Sales at, at Trey. And, and uh, yeah, we were just, Ralph and I were talking about that just an hour ago before you and I talked. Uh, he said, yeah. yeah, ask ask Morgan about that. Um, so was there ever anything that sort of crossed your mind about, well, hell, I've barely been doing this job long enough. How can, how can I provide value to other people? Great question. And Andy, I was super fortunate to start content before I did the SCR Chronicles. So... A lot of people thought that that was the first piece of content that I ever did, but I was doing content on Periscope. I don't know if you remember Periscope. Oh, yeah, I remember Periscope. When, yeah. when Periscope came out. I don't remember any of your content. <laughs> so, yep, when Periscope came out, I was doing two to three Periscopes a day to get better at public speaking because that's something I wanted to get better at. Right. So I was doing a lot of motivational content, no like skill content. It was just straight pure motivation mindset stuff. And then also I was doing Facebook videos before I did Periscope. So I was already creating videos and content out there. So I did Facebook was based on book reviews. So I would take books and review them and give people insights on what I was learning. And then what I was doing because of those things I was learning. And then the next thing was the Periscope, like I said. And then because I had the Facebook videos and the Periscope videos, I was already putting myself out there. So I didn't 
I didn't feel weird when I went on LinkedIn. I think a lot of people were like, whoa, where is this guy coming from? But I was already doing it. So it didn't make me feel weird putting it out there. And I knew that from what Gary told me, Gary Vaynerchuk, he said, hey, look, like document, don't create. I have a Facebook comment that I still have saved in my phone. And I asked him, Hey, I want to be, I remember this. I was like, Hey, I want to be a 22 motivational, like it was like a 21 motivational, 21 year old motivational speaker. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, what you need to do is document what you're in right now and then do it in a way where you show like what your obstacles are, what you're learning, how you're growing, what wins you're getting. And people will resonate with that. And then that's when I decided, all right, well, I've created videos before. I know what to do with the videos. Let me just document what's going on, which is why I called it the SCR Chronicles. And I think for people listening to this is, is I mean, there's several reactions you know, that, that come to mind. First of all, and I'm sure you've experienced this, is that you know, there's this cadre of people, sort of sales, quote-unquote, thought leaders and so on, who, who disparage what they call sort of the faux experts, people that somehow don't make some don't meet some magical criteria they have for mm-hmm. for being valid experts, which is BS. I mean it's like don't they know how to sell? It sells in the the value is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. And so it doesn't matter if you're 22 years old or 52 years old is if you have a point of view that others might find valuable, you may not even know whether they'll find it valuable up front as you didn't, is like, just do it. I mean, one of the things that, that I've talked about on this show a lot is, is that you know, we don't have enough prominent younger voices in sales. And it's like, I feel like people are sort of waiting until they feel like they have enough experience to be considered legitimate. And it's like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you've got a point of view, express it. If you think you can help people, help people. Don't wait. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Somebody disagree with you? That's the that's the worst case. The worst case is literally no no one watches, and you're like, all right, cool, I put it out there. But you're gonna you're gonna motivate or inspire, get someone to think. One person. That's all. That's the goal that I normally tell people to focus on. That is exactly right. Yeah, and then the <laughs> when I started public speaking, yeah, my wife would ask me when I came back. She said, you know, how to go. And I said, well, no one stood up and called me a freaking idiot. So pretty good. <laughs> I didn't get booed. That's what I was I was telling right? my mom. Like, no one booed me. So right. I think they, it went well. <laughs> the exact same thing, right? No one booed me. It was fine. Um, and that's you have to be able to take those chances because, you know, as a profession, we 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 need people, you know, expanding the edge of the envelope. And uh, you only do it by going out and taking chances and, and being vulnerable. Absolutely. And also also on top of that as well, like that was one of the reasons I created too is I wanted younger people. I wanted people that from even different backgrounds sure. and diversity to see that you can put yourself out there and it's okay. You don't need a VP or a founder title to put out content. You just have to make sure though that you don't come off as – the person like, hey, hey, look at me, do this. It's like, hey, follow my journey. And if you learn some stuff, cool. If not, it's fine. And that, that's the perspective that I take is follow this journey. Uh, I have some insights for you along the way. Not, hey, I'm on a pedestal. You should listen to me because this is where I'm at. Yeah, well, I, I, absolutely. Because I, I think this thing about sales in general is that, you know, I've 
I'm absolutely convinced the things that that I write about and talk about work. But I know right. they work for me. I know they work for some people. I don't believe they work for everybody. And that's that's the beauty about it. That's why we need more voices because people need to find those things that work for them. Absolutely. All right. So so you started SDR Chronicles and then you get promoted to being SDR manager. So a question I have for you is, is so how are you enabled in that role? And what training did you get? Yeah. So you don't get SDR manager training. <laughs> it's just kind of like, all right, here's your team. If you need me, hit me up. Now, that's nothing against my bit, my former boss at all. My former boss is incredible, and I still yeah. talk to him from day to day, and he's, he's a great friend of mine. However, there was no onboarding SDR manager training. There was no external leadership training that came in. It was just, hey, you're in this role, which a lot of people who are SDR managers right now or have been one, you know that's the deal. You become an SDR manager, and it's like, here you go. <laughs> like, that's what happens. Sure. I had sure. great guidance while I was in the role, but there was no onboarding period. It was like, let's get to it. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question, related question. So yeah. as, aside from your own personal experience, you know, day-to-day experience selling, what's been the biggest influence in terms of teaching you how to sell? Has it been a coach or mentor? Has it been your peers? Has it been customers? Has it been, well, obviously it wasn't company supplied training, uh, yeah. or was it things you learned on your own? What, what have, of those five, what have been the most influential for you? So in terms of selling, right, I, I, I see it in two different buckets. So there's prospecting and then there's the closing, right? And I've taken bits and pieces of information for, on both of those in different angles. I would say in terms of the selling piece, which is the question here, mm-hmm. I have found it to be very helpful to have mentors. So I did mock cold calls with Kevin Dorsey. Yep. Uh, that was, <laughs> I got annihilated on those. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, okay. I did not realize that I need a, I have some work to do here. Uh, but those are incredibly beneficial. So shout out to him. And I did mock cold calls with other people. Obviously, I had. John Barrows as a mentor, mm-hmm. like I'm on yep. his team. So I, I've learned an incredible amount from him. Yep. That's where I really learned how to do it. I, I learned by doing and I learned through visualization. So a lot of the stuff that I did during the sales process and the, on the closing in was just by doing the mock cold calls, reviewing my discovery questions, how to close a call. That's a lot of stuff that I did. And in terms of prospecting, it really goes in a lot of different angles. Like a lot of it is reading psychology. I try to understand people as much as possible and to get people's attention and interrupt their patterns. So a lot of reading and on prospecting, a lot of it is stuff I just try out myself. I felt way more confident to try out stuff in my prospecting more than my selling because I don't have someone in front of me. So I'm like, okay, I can just figure things out while I'm prospecting. So a lot of that I learned on my own in terms of prospecting. And I had a great Again, former boss who was an SDR, that, so that had a lot of credibility on our team. So he right. knew what to do. He knew what to call. He knew how to do an email because he was an SDR at Salesforce. So like he had a ton of credibility coming on that team. Okay. So that answers my, that answers the question there. A lot of it is mentors reading books. I read a ton of books and I take action on them, and then also just visualization of watching videos and then taking that information, executing it like how I would have wanted to be executed. Okay. So. So, a question for you then is, and this is not to critique anything that JB Sales is doing because I think they do a great job, and mm. our company has been a client as well. Is 
but philosophically is is I ask this question of a lot of people and it aligns pretty much with what you talked about. The the two major influences usually are you know coaches, mentors, and sort of personal learning. But as an industry, a sales industry, we spend twenty billion dollars a year on sales training. Mm-hmm. And we of that we spend almost nothing on training managers. <laughs> yep. And yet on the other hand, when you ask people how they learn how to sell, it's primarily from their managers and their coach. Yep. And so my thought is, well, huh, shouldn't we, instead of spending most of our sales training dollars on training sellers, wouldn't we get a bigger impact training our managers how to coach and mentor and develop people to a higher level of performance? Wouldn't we get a better payback off doing it that way? Yes, and here's why. So right now, as you, as you see, right, training – so there's a difference between training and coaching. Yes. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying is train right. train coaches. Well, no, no. Coach. So I'm about to go into my point. I'm about to go yeah. to my point, right? So yeah. there's a difference there, right? Because I think some people don't think there's a difference. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, you're good. You're good. So I think a lot of people think, oh, training is coaching. Well, so no, there's two different things no, there. No, not at all. Right? Yeah, so we have to clear of that for people out there because they might think it's the same thing and it's not. It's not, no. So, so training is, hey, I come in, it's formal, and it's this amount of time, right? Coaching is continuous, Right. So what we have to look at is when people get into that SDR manager role or frontline manager role, when a training happens, the reason that training doesn't stay within the organization is because the managers are not continuously coaching on it. Exactly. And so and so where you're going to get more impact is teaching the managers to not be managers and be coaches and not reactive coaching, but proactive coaching. So I'm actually very passionate about this topic because I talk about it all. I talk about it a lot with my clients. I'm like, Hey, look, managers have to be coaches here moving forward. You know, I have people that I coach one-on-one in terms of a manager or a rep, because I know that the continuous impact is going to, is going to go for a longer term because I know that you have to mold people and break them out of their habits. Right. And so one of the main things that, that I see is that I ask reps, hey, how much does your manager coach? And they're like, yeah, not that much. And then I ask enablement leaders, I'm like, what percentage of managers coach? They're like 10 to 20%. That's not good. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean all, all the studies on coaching show that yeah. you know, if effective coaching provides you know, a substantial, measurable uplift in sales performance. Yeah, it's, it's, there was a study that came out, uh, God, I forget what company it was, not that long ago that they found study of coaching is that in their research that, you know, 70% of managers say that coaching is a high priority and only like 20% of sellers said they actually got coaching. So, you know, there's this huge gap between aspiration and, and, and reality. So you have this situation you talk about where, you know, many managers feel overwhelmed by sort of the bureaucratic aspects of the job, uh, your reports they have to report on and so on, or maybe just aren't, interest in coaching i don't i don't know which one it is but but you know one potential solution which i throw out there and this is sort of a future of sales type thing but is why on a on a management team staff why don't we have dedicated coaches so why do managers have to be the coaches and first of all they're not trained to be coaches right if we're not going to train them Mm -hmm. to be coaches and to be effective coaches i mean there are such things as career coaches you know people that know how to they know how to coach performance i mean yep. why why don't we have 
a couple of those on staff and let the manager focus on hiring and, and, you know, capability building that they do and leave the coaching to coaches. So a couple things there is I believe that the managers, the SR manager is one of the, the SR managers, even an AE manager is one of the toughest jobs because you have to manage up and you also have to manage reps. Yeah. So you, you're trying to get buy-in from executives, right? But also you got to manage this team to make sure they're producing. And especially if you're from an SCR front, you're managing people that are one, two, three years out of college, right? So you also have to deal with other things like how do you do your savings, right? How do you look for rent? Like oh, you're dealing with things that like absolutely. aren't even related to your role. <laughs> you become a financial advisor and you're like, this is not what I signed up for. Right? Oh, I'm a life coach. I mean, I, I <laughs> right? my first management job when I had, I said 15 sellers, yeah, people I practiced take to rehab. I mean, it was like yeah. that level of stuff. You know, it's like you look like you came back in the office in the same clothes you left last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bars didn't close till four. I couldn't get home. <laughs> exactly. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because they're going to be focused on the upper level management, even sometimes more than coaching the reps. And the reps themselves are not going to be like, "Hey, I'm not going to get coaching to the executives because they're like, I'm going to just stay in my lane." And so what I have seen, Andy, though, as of late, is I've seen organizations get coaches. So there's a client that we work with. They have an SDR coach. They have Love an it. AE coach. Cool. Right? You, and well, all after they do, the show, you give me those names. Yeah, yeah. I can give you the names. And, and the thing is, like, that's awesome to see. So the managers are focused on their job. And then they have a dedicated coach who's focused on how do we make sure people get better and then upload their performance? So I have started to see that and it's, and it's been incredible to see, but however, we can't, you can't be like, Oh, and the executives, this is what happens. They're like, Oh, well, my managers are coaching, but you never taught them how to coach. So they don't know how to coach. They don't know how to coach. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what? Yeah. So, I mean, so you're, so what's the sports, your interest in sports? What sports were you passionate about? Bass. I love, so I loved playing basketball and watching it. And I also love watching soccer. Soccer. Okay, so I'm a huge soccer fan. I love basketball too. I'm a huge Warriors fan. Have been since <laughs> before you guys were before. <laughs> <around>. yeah. <laughs> their, their first championship. Let me say that. Um, and uh, you know, look at what sports teams are doing. And again, people listen to the show, hear me talk about this all the time. Is they have these specialized coaches based on you know certain you know it could be health and health and fitness. It could be. Or not usually health, and then they have fitness and strength coaches. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have these specialized coaches, on-field skill coaches. Yeah, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. You know, so I just look at their coaching staff. They've got a first-team coach. They've got a, you know, a, a data analytics coach. I mean, all these things for increasing performance. And yet, what we do is we hire a sales leader and say, "We well, as a sales leader, you must know all this stuff." And they don't. They weren't trained. <laughs> no. Right? No one got trained on it. Just because you're a VP doesn't mean you know squat about any of this. Yep. So and we we think they know, you know, how to coach mindset and motivation, and they just don't. And so let's just stop the fiction that just because somebody inhabits a role, they know and have the expertise to do this stuff. And let's get real. Let's do like this company, this client of yours talking about that. Let's have specialized people on staff. You know, the example I love to give is the show Billions, is Wendy, the character Wendy, if you're familiar with that, who's a psychiatrist who sits on staff. <laughs> because, yeah, when the traders hit a hard patch, they have somebody to talk to. 
right? Somebody that understands psychology, understands mindsets and so on, and can coach them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think any reasonably sized sales organization should have somebody like that on staff. Because that's that's the stuff that sellers deal with. I mean, we can all be skilled to a certain degree, but what sets apart the the great sellers from the rest is allow its mindset. Yep. So, do we spend a dime on that? No. No, and and that's the biggest miss. And and again, I think people think it's a given. It's a given that I put you in this role and you should coach, but you don't yeah. know how to do it. And then the reps think it's a given that the manager should know how to coach, but it's they don't the know how to. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We assume somebody is because they have a title, they must get it. I had a guest on my show, kind of Peter Economy, and I'm plugging his book a lot these days. Uh, Peter columnist for Inc. And he's written a book about first-time managers. And he has a stat in the book I keep citing, which is that the average age at which a manager first gets leadership training of any sort is age 42. After they, and on average, at 10 years what? after they've, on average, 10 years after they've been promoted into the role. Now, this is across multiple industries and multiple professions, but it's not any different in sales. <laughs> I mean, it's, unless you work for a really big company, Mm-hmm. That that still has an established training program, yeah. I mean, you're on your own, and it just doesn't need to be that way. It's a matter of priorities, you know how we how we want us how we want to elevate performance, and the way we're doing it, quite frankly, doesn't work. So, yeah. Um, right, well, let me ask you a question. So, how do you see this is a little sort of future of sales type thing, right? Because there's yeah. sort of ongoing debate about. The best home for SDRs is it sales? Is it marketing? And so, the first part of that question is for you, your opinion. Does it matter? So, you have to take a look at your organization when you're asking yourself this question. I have seen more reps that are SDRs move to the marketing role. My only thing with that is if the marketing leader doesn't know anything about sales and they're not a revenue marketing leader, you're in trouble. That's my take. If your marketing leader is not revenue focused, mm-hmm. then those reps are not going to be in a good spot. Sort of old school marketing brand yeah. type person. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just not going to work because the, the reps then are going to have that SDR AE battle because the revenue focused sales leader is going right. to be like, what? Yeah. Like you're sitting over this stuff, but these aren't these aren't SQLs. Like, what are you doing? So I think the, the marketing leader has to be revenue focused. If they are, then it's completely fine. And because, but at the end of the day, what the good thing about going into marketing is that it allows for the reps to go in other avenues than just be an AE. Because mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes people feel the pressure that I have to go from SCR to AE, but you can go to SCR to customer success, custom SCR to customer support, to marketing, to other sure. places, Absolutely. right? And I don't think we talk about that enough. I think we only think about SDR to AE when it's like you could go other places if you want. And marketing allows you to have that creativity and they have the budget to give you more resources. So ultimately, it, it really you have to look at your organization and be like, do we have a revenue-focused marketing leader? Okay, put them over there. If not, they should mostly be in sales. But I think as of today, I think most SDR teams are reporting to sales anyways. But I, we will see more teams go over to marketing because marketers, leaders, right, are starting to be more revenue-focused. Yeah. Well, and also it's primarily a lead gen function. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So follow up to that question then is in your mind is, is how should the SDR role evolve? I mean, we sort of, 
we've sort of been in sort of one pattern of operation for eh, close to 20 years now. Yeah. It seems a little stale to me in a lot of companies that I talk with. Um, and we know companies, I've seen companies who are talking about, hey, creating full cycle reps again, you know, SaaS companies. Um, or, you know, going the other direction, trying to extend SDRs and doing actual discovery, not just discovery to qualify people for a meeting or a demo, but, you know, actual discovery and qualification and moving the handoff, you know, further the other direction. So, so what do you think is going to happen? So you said stale, like, what does that mean to you before I dive into that question? Well, we see the reports that B2B sales performance at an individual level is, is not good in general, mm-hmm. relative to quota attainment. Um, yeah, I see in the SaaS business, I see what, by my estimation, is our low win rates and a focus purely on sort of playing the numbers game as opposed to trying to become more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those issues, I, I think a lot of the way it's being done just isn't sustainable for all, for any but the the home run hitters. Yep. So this is my take on it. So you will see less inbound SDRs. With Drift, with products like Drift, you just don't really need as many inbound SDRs. Okay. I think that's going to slowly start going away. Then the next thing that I well, will say... What, what replaces it, though? I mean, you, you're you talking about fully automating. So if you got Drift or Qualified on your website, you got an inbound, you still need, most effectively, a person can handle that most effectively, right? Yeah. So what I mean by less is that there's there's some people who have like tons and tons of inbound reps, right? So like what I'm thinking is, hey, you got drift and you have less people on the team because they're only focusing on handling that the drift. And then you're going to have like other reps doing other channels. Like mm-hmm. if they're coming in with ebooks and stuff like that, then maybe you have one person who only deals with ebooks. I just got think it. it's going to be a lot easier with technology to to have less people on that inbound team. Okay. All right. And so my further point though is you're going to see more reps because you already mentioned it. Understanding have to go understanding full sales cycle because a lot of SDRs are not going to be able to go from SDR to mid-market rep and have an SDR. Like those days are going to start dwindling down. So right. where you're going to have to go from an SDR to what they're starting to call a corporate sales executive, which essentially you have to handle or SMB AE where you have to handle your own book of business and mm-hmm. you still have to prospect because the executives want to make sure that you don't lose that skill set and you just get happy because you have an SCR now. Yeah. And also on top of that as well, we'll start to see, I believe, and it's already happened in the bigger companies, but I think we're going to have more segmented SDRs. You're going to be like, hey, you're an SCR with this vertical, with this industry, and this is how you're going to go after your prospects and now you can go use all the tools to go personalize, but this is your lane, right? So we're going to have SCRs who are going to be more focused and they're going to have layers they're pulling versus, hey, we have a ton of team of the SDRs. It's going to be, hey, we're going to focus more on this quality set. You're going to have X amount of meetings a set, but you're going to be focused on certain company sizes and verticals and whatever, or even more products, right? Product focus, because I've seen some companies that have SDRs for certain products sure. and brands sure. now, which they have found to be really successful. And from that standpoint, then you're going to be asked to do a little bit more qualification. So I've seen that the more sophisticated companies, like you mentioned, they're having the reps schedule meetings, running a 15-minute qualification call, and then handing it off to the AE so that they can be prepared to then become an AE and then 
just the next step is them running discovery and closing. So I think we're going to see a more sophisticated SDR moving forward, SDR role moving forward. And it's not just going to be showing up and just scheduling meetings. It's going to be more than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that smacks of sort of back to the future because yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> these, <laughs> these vertical based teams, vertical based or account based teams. I were seeing that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They weren't automated, but they've been around for a long time. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting to see people come back to that because it's it made sense. We'd sort of got away from it, but yeah, interesting. Okay, so well, let's start with last question in the time we have is, is so yeah, I get the sense you're on a mission. So what is your mission? Yeah, so my mission has changed. Okay. So you know, if it was before this. COVID thing happens, um, <laughs> you know, before we shut it all down. Now I'm just sitting in my apartment chilling. I, I wanted to be the best motivational speaker of all time. That was my mission coming out of college. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. And then the more I've been sitting here, like, that's not what I care about anymore. And my mission now is I have it written up on my whiteboard up here is impact over income. So I was on a podcast with Kyle Lacey. We did one yesterday. Mm-hmm. He asked me like, hey, when you turn 50, like, what do you want, what do you want to be saying? I was like, dude, that's really far away, first off. <laughs> like, but I said, hey, like, I want to be thinking impact over income. And I want to be the best impactor of all time where I truly was able to touch and transform people's lives by my action and not just by what I say, because I believe in more being an action leader versus a thought leader. And so that's more so like what my mission is, is to impact people in the way that I know I can, which is through prospecting techniques, you know, do throughout the different industries that I may move into moving forward. Like those are the things that I want to say at the end of the day, I want to be like, Hey, I I was one of the best impactors of all time. And I touched all our lives and helped people think about things in a different perspective when maybe they were at a low point. And that's my, that's my mission right now. And that's why I hop on podcasts. That's why I take as many calls as I do. It's why I'm on all these webinars. It's because I know that I want to be the person that my younger self needed. And I try to keep putting myself out there because I know, Hey, I would, I would have liked some advice and guidance when I was going through these things. And so that's what I'm trying to provide. Got it. All right. So last question, what's your book going to be about? So that's a great question because I thought about it a lot and I started writing one about three years ago Then I scrapped it because I didn't like it. <laughs> I wrote like 10 pages and I was like, yeah, this is garbage. Honestly, I think what my mind is going to be about is the phrase that I originally started out with when I started the SR Chronicles was keep dialing and talk about how when things look bleak, when they look low and it might not happen for you, how you can push forward and how you can move your mindset to the next level. Because a lot of stuff in my life, you know, I almost quit as an SDR. I almost, I didn't, SDR manager leadership, that was tough for me at the beginning. Like this role at JB Sales was really tough for me at the beginning. Everything has always been tough for me, but it is, I've always it figured is for it out. everybody. Yeah. And, but the thing is like, I'm always like, let me, let's push it to the next level, which a lot of people quit. Yeah. Okay. So absolute last question. What's the J stand for? <laughs> You know, it's funny because most people think that that's made up. <laughs> like I just picked a letter one day. So it stands, it stands for Joseph. It's a real, Joseph. it's a real initial. It stands for Joseph. All yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to start calling you Joseph. <laughs> All right. Morgan, Joseph Ingram. Thank you very much. So if this has been fantastic, if, if people want to connect with you, how should they do that? Yeah. So 
you could connect with me on LinkedIn, but I probably won't accept you because I got the 30K limit. Andy, they, they've, they've clamped on me. I got the 30K connection limit. I don't know why LinkedIn does that. So if you no want to, no it's, it's so ridiculous. So if you want to connect with me, connect me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Morgan J. Ingram. That's, that's where you can follow me and I, I can engage with you there. Well, you can, they can follow you on LinkedIn too, though, which they should. They can. Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, but still, like, <laughs> I'm just so mad at the you connection. You just, <laughs> just can't connect with them. That's all. You just can't connect with me because some people are going to be like, why, why aren't you connecting with me? And like, yeah, it's, I have a gap. Sorry. Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah, there was, it was funny. I was laughing at a post. Somebody posted this week about that. It's like sort of self-righteously saying, you know, if you're trying to connect with me on LinkedIn and I don't know you. And I was like, dude. Are you like 10, 12 years ago? That's what people said. <laughs> it's like <laughs> exactly. That's it's aged. Yeah. Come come forward a little bit. All right. <laughs> Morgan, as always, pleasure. Thank you very much. And we'll look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank Morgan J. Ingram for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>